Time marches on and leaves behind those who are not equipped for tomorrow. We cannot predict what will happen in the future, but we at Regent University aim to prepare you for it. With world-class professors in over 150 programs, the opportunities to find success in your field are many. So don't let tomorrow pass you by. The journey to your brightest future begins here. Visit regent.edu slash learn more. If we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land, we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. Those who say that we're in a time when there are no heroes, they just don't know where to look. The sloping hills of Arlington National Cemetery, with its row upon row of simple white markers, bearing crosses or stars of David, they add up to only a tiny fraction of the price that has been paid for our freedom. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. France Authority on AM 1420. The answer. Hour number two underway now at nine minutes past nine o'clock. Thanks for being with us. If you are just joining us, you missed a very important first hour in which we talked about the good and the bad, the best of times, the worst of times, the age of enlightenment, the age of darkness. So this is uh, this is what we saw last night. I went for back and forth last night between euphoria and excitement at the prospect of Glenn Youngkin winning in Virginia, setting the table for a massive, massive red wave in 2022. But don't just ask me, of course. Ask Kamala Harris, because she's the one who told us, in case you missed it, she's the one who told us, come on, Kami, speak up here. Because you see, what happens in Virginia will in large part determine what happens in 2022, 2024, and on. There you go. And what happened in Virginia was a sound rejection of all Democrat platform policies. All of them personified in Terry McAuliffe, supported in Virginia by Biden, by Harris, by Obama, and more. All of it rejected by Virginia voters, a deep blue state. So yes, that will have a huge impact in 2022 and 2024 and beyond. And one other story that I didn't even mention in the open, but directly ties to what I'm about to talk about with my next guest. In Minneapolis, the attempt to disband the Minneapolis Police Department and replace it with a group of social workers who are going to report to crime scenes and, I don't know what, talk everything out uh, and maybe stop bullets and stop rapes and stop assaults and stop arsons with their words. Well, Minneapolis, of course, is ground zero of the uh, anti-police and defund the police movement because of what happened last year with the George Floyd incident. But even the people of Minneapolis weren't stupid enough to do that. 56% to 44% by a 12% margin in pretty decent turnout. Um, they said, no, we want our police force. 
And that's because they're smart enough to know that without police forces and, and, and strong numbers of police officers, more violent crime victimizes more residents, the vast majority of which are minorities. That's right. If they think they're going to help save black lives by getting rid of cops, they're absolutely doing it backwards. Cops save black lives primarily, and that's what they figured out in Minneapolis in time to defeat that. Now let's bring it home. The worst of times. In Cleveland, as I mentioned, issue 24 literally is going to cause the death of the city of Cleveland. Suicide by neglect, suicide by inaction, suicide by willful ignorance, suicide by not showing up to vote. 76% of the voting population in Cleveland stayed home and allowed 23% to get out there and vote. Those are the activists, and those are the ones who effectively just defunded Cleveland police. And joining us now to talk about it is Jeff Fulmer. Jeff is the president of the Cleveland Police Patrolmen's Association, who I know watched the race for mayor yesterday very closely and the race for issue number 24 because it impacts law and order in this city. Uh, Jeff, thank you for coming back on. How are you, sir? Good. How are you? Uh, you just said everything perfectly. What you just summarized there, it just, I'm sick to my stomach this morning. Um, you just can't believe that Cleveland residents fed into these group of people that are just out for vengeance and power and now they're supported by the next mayor um yeah you said everything right we're going to lose people um we're going to make sure our officers are safe when they go to these scenes and stuff like that they're going in numbers they're going to go home and make sure that they're going to go and make sure they go home at night um we're going to fight this legally you know in courts and stuff like that but you know right now you're not feeling too good today because you see a small group that got out and voted, you know, went for the other side. And violence, you know, you're going to get a violent figure right now. And you're, we have, we're 150 down. People think I was BSing when I was saying there's three to 400 people ready to retire. It's going to happen, folks. By April or May, we're going to be down two, three, 400 people. And let's see how many people we get to apply. We can't even get people to apply now. The last group of applications was less than 300 people. Back in the 90s, you said three, four, five thousand people. City of Cleveland made a mistake on this one, and by the mayor supporting it, that's a big mistake, also. Jeff, um, we'll talk more about the mistake and what led to this in a moment. But you have me intrigued when you said we'll fight this legally. What can you do from a legal perspective? I wasn't aware there was anything uh, that could be done here. Are you saying that you can challenge the results of this vote on the on Cleveland's charter? No, it's not, it's not challenging the votes. I mean, we have a contract. Um, you know, in simple, our contract uh, trumps the charter. It's been around for 20 or 30 years. Uh, we can, our contract spells out we can be disciplined by the chief and the safety director. It says nothing about citizens disciplining us and stuff. So that'll be the fight that we have. Um, you know, it's, we have to wait and see how he, uh, you know, puts everything in place here. Uh, once we see where he's going, uh, once they try to discipline us or do anything like that, then we'll start going through our process of le- the legal process and through our uh, contractual rights. You know, they usually has to end up through an arbitration. So, Jeff, um, I'm gonna I'm gonna give you the the, the flip side of this. I, I posted last night as the votes were coming in, the people of Cleveland just voted to burn the city to the ground. It now belongs to the gangs, the criminals, and the thugs. Hashtag 24 and hashtag RIPCLE. 
And I believe every word of that, I, I, because of what you just said, and because of the last time we talked, you told me about the three to 400 officers that are going to retire or transfer laterally to suburban departments that are hiring or even out of state. We all know that Phoenix was in town, uh, you know, recruiting some of the existing officers to come out there and help them uh, in, uh, in the desert. Um, and so, you know, you talked about three, four hundred people going down and, uh, and leaving because of this, which is going to just create chaos and, and, and lawlessness in Cleveland. So one of the respondents to my post about this last night said, no, only the bad cops will leave. Good cops who already respect Cle- uh, citizens' rights uh, would have no reason to fear this board. Um, I, I didn't even engage in the conversation because it would have taken, I would have, I would have typed my fingers bloody, uh, explaining all of the ignorance and the things that are wrong with that statement. But I want to get, let you have a crack at it. Well, how do you respond to somebody who says, if you're a good cop who does things the right way, you don't have anything to worry about? You know, we're watched under a microscope. So every little thing we do, you can pick, probably pick apart anything when we respond that we, you know, we might have done something wrong. They could, this group can pick up the smallest thing and take it up to discipline they don't live our world they don't know what we do every day they don't go through our stresses they don't go through being mf one day to being a social worker one day but you know what they do what they can do now they can be a monday quarterback and look back at videos and see what we did wrong instead of live through our real time so those people are crazy that say like that they don't live through our like our they don't live through our eyes what we see every day anyway tell you the truth a lot of this group lived outside the city of cleveland Put them in the middle of the city of Cleveland at night. These you know, older people out there that are getting here, they have to lock their doors. They're hearing gunshots throughout the city, motorcycles going up and down. Put those people in the middle of the city and see, you know, you see how they react. You know, I got to say last night that there's probably, what, 156 homicides, something like that. A hundred or all of them except for five were black on black. What do you think is going to happen now as less patrols are out there? You're going to, and less people, less detectives, less homicide people supporting it. They're not going to get the numbers. Jeff, that's the point that I have been trying to make uh, on the air um, since, obviously, before last night's voting and even this morning. You know, the, the, the group that is pushing, that pushed for Issue 24 in this new civilian review board, which would have more power than the chief and more power than the mayor in investigating complaints about police misconduct and deciding uh, punishments. Um, these are the people who are saying that it's because police officers are dangerous for black residents. They buy into this narrative that police officers target black suspects. The reality is what you just said. The overwhelming majority, 95% plus of violent crimes, including and especially homicides in the city of Cleveland, involve black victims and black perpetrators. So if the cops aren't there to stop the perpetrators, more black victims will be the result. How can they claim this is in the best interest of the black community or the minority community to have the cops hamstrung by the civilian review board that holds their 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 freedom and their fate in their hands. Correct. You know, black, white, Hispanic, law-abiding citizens love the Cleveland police. We get along perfectly. You know what? It's the thugs. It's the people committing crimes. These are the rights that we're protecting now. These people need to go to jail. And you know what? That's, that's who we're protecting now. We're not protecting the law-abiding citizens. We're protect, protecting all the thugs, all the murderers, all the people that run through the streets, uh, the car chases. You know, make sure you do everything perfectly. If they get hurt, 
we are guilty until proven innocent. And that's, this is what the society just turned into. Well, this is an example, um, and it was just coincidental that I saw this this morning. There was a situation in Lorraine uh, a couple of nights ago. It was actually October 29th, in which there was a car crash, and a young teenage, I think 19-year-old girl, was involved in the car crash. The police officer came and investigated the crash, asked her for her insurance card, license and insurance. She said, what's an insurance card? She had no idea what they looked like, what they were supposed to be. He looked at her and said, you're a licensed driver, and you don't know what an insurance card looks like? And she goes, no. And he said, it's a little card that'll have, like, State Farm on it. At any rate... He just talked to her and described it, so on and so forth. Her father, who was a candidate for Lorraine City Council, Jeff, showed up on the scene, talked to the police officer, heard the story, heard his hysterical daughter's, you know, uh, you know, uh, you know, weepy cry story, and thanked the officer for what he did and left. Then went on Facebook and lodged a public social media complaint about the officer, saying that he made his daughter cry, he was rude and abusive and blow and so on and so forth. I bring all this up, Jeff, to say what came out this morning that I just saw was uh, an official letter from the chief of police in Lorraine and from the chief investigator who was assigned to review that complaint. And that chief and that investigator, using the body-worn camera footage, completely blew the ridiculous narrative of the father apart. Completely. Now, I bring all that up to say this. In Cleveland, any such complaint wouldn't be seen or heard by the chief. It wouldn't be heard or seen by any investigative body within the police department. It would go right to Samaria Rice and her little review board. It wouldn't be given the opportunity to review the camera footage and so on and so forth. And they would be the ones investigating the police officer. And we all know because they hate cops, they'll use every opportunity that they can to take down that police officer. So this is why I I, I want people to explain how you could possibly have voted for Issue 24 to have cops work condemned by... a body that hates them, rather than evaluated officially by professional police officers. Yeah, you know, and it, you, know, you hit it right ahead. I mean, they are a group that hate the police and wants vengeance. You know, they, they talk about this accountability and stuff like that. We are under the Department of Justice. We have 800 new officers. We have cameras on us. There's cameras at every corner. Everybody has a cell phone. We are watched constantly. If we don't turn our camera on, we get a day suspension. You know, we, I don't even get, understand this accountability stuff when everything is watched. And, right. you know, the complaints are down. Actually, the cameras help us on our complaints, like you just gave with that example. Sure. They help us. And that's why complaints are down. These people just keep going back to the old uses of forces that happened a while ago, which nobody was ever indicted on. You know, civilian reviews, uh, everybody looked at this, and they were even investigated by outside agencies. And it was the same results. They were justified uh, justified uses of force, but they sold this to the city of Cleveland, and people bought into this. That's right. And, and, you know, my whole point with that, and I apologize for the length of that story, was that even if you do nothing wrong, all they have to do is allege that you have. And now you're going before Samaria Rice and her review board, which is just impossible. Again, no, I don't know why anybody would put on a badge and walk a beat in that city under those circumstances. If you get attacked by a suspect during an encounter and you have to wrestle that suspect to the ground and in the course of that wrestling he hits his head on the pavement and then claims police brutality and unnecessary 
military force. It doesn't matter that he was trying to attack you. Jeff, you're the officer. If he hits his head on the ground and they complain, you're going up before Samaria Rice. And I keep saying Samaria because she was the central face of all of this, the mother of Tamir Rice, and she pushed for this thing. I don't know if she'll be on the board or just choosing the members, but you're going to be judged by people with her anti-cop uh, attitude, even if you're defending yourself and have done nothing wrong. That's the part of this that people don't understand. Correct, yeah, and that's like I said, that's, um, you know, our next few months is going to be huge, and we're going to, you know, we I have great attorneys, and we've uh, had some big meetings, and we did the, uh, what is in the worst case scenario, and obviously we, we hit it. Uh, but we're, we're prepared. We're prepared to take this to court. Uh, we're prepared to do these arbitrations and, you know, stop this and, you know, make sure that, the, you know, the my officers know that, hey, we're ready for the fight right now. It's a different fight now. The, the day's over. we got to move on. But we're ready to fight this in court or where we need to do. Like I said, i got five attorneys all ready to go that, you know, we're going to stop this. And, you know, we're not going to give them a chance to discipline us. Well, Jeff, I wish you obviously the best of luck in all of the membership and all of those who uh, wear the badge in Cleveland. You are uh, on borrowed time, I'm afraid, and uh, I think by spring, when hundreds of cops have fled, the city of Cleveland is on borrowed time as well. Jeff, thanks for coming on and discussing it with us. We appreciate it. All right, thank you, and thank you for everybody that supported out there. It meant a lot to us. We got a lot of phone calls, and thank you to the uh, residents and the unions that backed us. So I appreciate it. Amen. Thank you, Jeff. 1024, right back after this. The free WHK mobile app and listen to your favorite WHK programs or podcasts on the go. It's free in your app store. All right, 1027. Thanks for being with us on AM 1420 The Answer. Good guest. Really appreciate uh, Jeff Fulmer coming on to talk about the mess that is going to be the city of Cleveland. Let's go back to a few phone calls now. My good friend from Cleveland Heights, Eli, the key guy. Hey, Eli, good to talk to you, my friend. How are you? Eli, are you there? Eli, my key guy. Oh, I can't hear him. Is he up? Is he off? Oh, he probably stepped away from the phone. People do that when they go on speaker. All right, put him on hold. Don't hang up on him. I don't want to lose him. Eli, the key guy, is a good guy. Uh, Matthew in Medina is also a good guy. Matthew, go right ahead. Good morning, Bob. Good morning. Uh, thanks for taking my call. Yes, sir. Uh, what I want to talk about is this Samaria Rice. If she would have been a mother to that child that was killed, we wouldn't even be talking about this, Bob. I'm the father... And my wife's the mother of five children, and we took care of our kids. We knew where our kids were all the time. This kid was raised by his grandmother. Do you think that the, the grandmother's got any authority over that kid? Never. Never. What she should do is practice of being a mother for a change instead of trying to go out there and harass other people. And that's all I got to say, and God bless you, Bob, for speaking up. Thank you, Matthew, for the phone call. Um, yeah, I have spent a good deal of time on the radio since 2014 talking about Samaria Rice and that entire situation and how she is being made out to be you know, the victim in all of this and the entire affair. I'm not going to relitigate everything that happened, but suffice it to say that the investigation that cleared the officers of wrongdoing in that case um, was accurate. Uh, what he was doing at that time and the way he looked 
was in no way, shape, or form indicative of the way that he was presented by the media with a, with a picture of him in second grade or something like that and some you know youthful thing. It was in no way, shape, or form that. Uh, the situation was very serious. That's the reason why 911 was, was called, uh, because people were very, very threatened by his actions that day. Add to the fact of what you just said, that there was no supervision whatsoever. Because if there was, he would not have been allowed to go down to a known drug and gang hangout like that Cadell Park, Rec Park, uh, where, again, they have had countless numbers of drug calls for that area and for that park. He's down there pretending to be and, in fact, training to be a gangbanger, uh, a 12-year-old who looked like he was 19, and it just was not going to end well. Uh, and, and now, as a result of that tragic situation, which, of course, was still a tragedy, now Samaria Rice wants to destroy police officers, all in petty revenge. That's it. That's it. It's the only reason she is behind and pushing issue number 24 and has been made the face of it by the others. All right. Thank you for the call. Matthew, we'll take our time out for news here. We'll come back. I've got more of your calls waiting, and I've also got Paris Denard of the RNC going to join us to talk about some huge results last night coming up on AM 1420, The Answer. Against the lies of the liberal media pandemic. The Bob France Authority on AM 1420. The answer. Yeah, the uh, voters of Virginia were immune to the Biden agenda, the Kamala Harris agenda, the Barack Obama agenda, personified by the Terry McAuliffe agenda. They rejected all of it last night. Enormous, enormous result that is going to have an impact across the country and, according to Kamala Harris, for many years to come, including 2022 and 2024. Joining us now with reaction is Nash, uh, RNC National Spokesman uh, Paris Denard. Paris, good morning. Good to have you. How are you, sir? I, you know what? I am tired because I've been up like all of you all, but <laughs> I'm also energized because this was undoubtedly a red wave uh, for Republicans across the country. And so we're excited about the future, but we're celebrating right now because Republican principles, values, and policies work. You know, Paris, I was watching this at, you know, 1030 and it's, you know, Yunkin by six and then by 1130 it was down to four and a half and by, you know, 1145 was down to three and two. I, did you get, did you have any of that deja vu uh, that, you know what, we're going to stop counting here and we'll pick this up again tomorrow morning like they did back uh, in, on November 4th of 2020? I, every time they updated a new percentage of votes turned in up to around 87, 89, it, it got a little bit smaller, the margin there. I, I was a little worried. Were you or were you confident? We were confident because we, the thing that we saw was that in all those instances, uh, Glenn Youngkin was overperforming. So he was doing far better than expectations. And so while, you know, you might have seen, like, the, the total percentage go down, you would dig down into it and say, but wait a minute, he's still doing better than expected. And so we knew that he, if he hit his baseline in some of these counties, he was going to win. And in almost every instance, Glenn Youngkin was hitting the baseline for him to have be victorious and if not exceeding it. So, you know, we were cautious, uh, wanted to make sure it was right, make sure that they had the vote totals in. 
But ultimately, as everyone saw late in the evening, as Joe Biden returned from his fail, his failure of a climate change summit, uh, getting off the plane as Glenn Youngkin gave his victory speech, uh, not only to the Commonwealth of Virginia, but to the entire nation. You know, that is so important. We're talking with Paris Denard, national spokesman for the RNC. Kamala Harris, in campaigning for Glenn Youngkin uh, just last week, said this. Because you see, what happens in Virginia will in large part determine what happens in 2022, 2024, and on. Excuse me, of course I misspoke there. I meant she was campaigning for Terry McAuliffe. She said that what happens is gonna, is gonna carry through next year in 2024. She didn't expect this to happen. So is she right? Is this gonna carry through? She's absolutely right. It's one of the rare instances where she is right on, on <laughs> something. Uh, because what we see here is that we have the roadmap for other Republicans to follow. You can be a Republican who can compete in a tough district in a blue, in a, or in a blue state and, and do well if you talk to the people, reject the calls to nationalize the campaign, and really address the issues that are of concern in the community and give sound, clear, principled, conservative policies that provide solutions. And whether it was public safety or the economy or the education system or parental choice, Glenn Youngkin was spot on with the people of Virginia. Um, you may have just answered that question, um, and I want to give credit to Glenn Youngkin, too, for the campaign that he ran, and he had to thread a needle. He really, really did, and I thought he ran a great race. But what I was going to ask you is, did the result reflect more of the great campaign that Youngkin ran, or did it reflect more of the gaffes that Terry McAuliffe made, attacking parents, telling them you have no business in how we educate your kids, just step to the side and let the state educate your kids as we see fit? Critical race theory doesn't exist. What are you talking about? It's not even taught in our schools. That's a racist dog whistle. Did Terry McAuliffe talk his way out of victory, or did Glenn Youngkin campaign his way to it? I don't think that what Terry McAuliffe said were gaffes. Uh, a gaffe is something you say once it was a mistake and you move on. He doubled down on the notion uh, that critical race theory was not Virginia. That's a lie. Matter of fact, when he was governor, uh, he pushed for the, his, his administration pushed for critical race theory and uh, saying that it was something that should be embraced to re-engineer the attitudes and belief systems of children. And so when it comes to parents, he doubled down on what he meant by that. And so they weren't gaps. But again, it is. You, that's what campaigning is, is all about. You, you, you take a misstep, you take something that's off, that's wrong from your opponent, and you seize upon, the, upon that. But at its core, Glenn Youngkin was already a school choice candidate. Glenn Youngkin was already someone as a father who understood what parents were going through. He could see what happened, what's happening in Loudoun County. He saw those instances where, you know, authorities were kicking out parents and, and making them feel like they were terrorists in their own you know, public school uh, mm-hmm. systems. And so he tapped into that. And, and on top of the fact the RNC worked with him to get the data, the ground game, poll watchers, and everything else to make sure that he amplified and undergirded work that he was doing to make sure we had a Republican victory. But that's what candidates have to do. Be in tune with the people, seize the moment, and, and but ha- back it up with sound policy. And that's what he was able to do. Paris Denard is my guest, spokesman for the RNC. So I want to talk big picture now with the RNC. When I said that Glenn Youngkin had a uh, a needle to thread, and, and he did a masterful job at that, he had to carry the endorsement of President Trump with him proudly. 
without alienating too many centrist voters who still don't like Donald Trump. So he, he found a way to talk about culture and talk about education and talk about race and talk about unity and so on and so forth while not you know, not dis- disassociating himself from an unpopular president in Virginia. Remember, President Trump lost by 10 points there. He had to find a way to tell Virginia voters, I support the Trump policies, um, but I am my own man, and I'm not just a MAGA worshiper. How do you think that plays big picture going forward for the RNC, Paris? Um, are, are more candidates going to have to kind of walk a very tight line when it comes to the endorsement of President Trump? I think it depends on where, the, where you're running, what your district is. I mean, President Trump might not have been uh, popular uh, across the board in Virginia, but there are other mm-hmm. states, other counties, other districts where he's extremely popular. Uh, was and is. And so I think it depends on where you are. But I think ultimately what it comes down to is President Trump's policy. Glenn Youngkin was able to make this race about the people, about Virginia, not nationalize it. And so the policy that President Trump enacted when it comes to lowering taxes, deregulation, school choice, support for HBCUs, are, are policies that Glenn Youngkin uh, supported for Virginia, Virginia-specific. And so I think that could be the role now for other candidates. Look at the policies and the things that President Trump did that worked for all people. Because remember, he worked in a bipartisan manner to pass a lot of these things that, that empowered people across the country. That's going to be the roadmap. Embrace the policies. Embrace what happened that worked for the people and keep the election about them. That's what President Trump did on the national level. He made it about the people. That's, that's what these that's, local candidates are going to have to do as well. Yeah, that's 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 a good observation. Um, I watched a lot of MSNBC last night just because I like watching them break down and melt down every time things don't go their way in an election. But I also <laughs> we like torture. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, but but I also flipped over and I heard Brett Baer on the Fox side essentially saying. What Glenn Youngkin's win is doing here, it is reinforcing that the Trump policies are popular because they work. When the Trump personality, I'm paraphrasing Brett Baer, when the Trump personality is not included in the deal, that he wasn't on the ballot here, his policies were in the form of Glenn Youngkin, and when the policies are embraced but the personality is kept to the side, it works for Republicans. How do you think that would bode for 2024? Look, I, I think ultimately it's going to be about an election where the policies always prevail. Uh, President Trump uh, was, was a large personality, but if he didn't have the policies to back it up, he would not have been a successful president. So, and he was a successful president. And so what we have to remember is that take the, the model of being about the policies. And when you go to 2024, I think every Republican that runs uh, in that primary is going to be talking about policies that work for the American people. And they're going to have to point back to what happened under the leadership of President Trump. And, and they can go back to point other, to other examples of other presidents, but President Trump made it such that bipartisanship, uh, uh, education, the economy, national security, the border, all these tough issues he had solutions for. And so I think as we go to 2024, as we look to 2022, more importantly, um, we have to be focused on policies because we have proof of concept that Republican conservative principles, policies, and values work. So we have to be proud to be conservative, proud to be Republican, and stand for our principles because when you apply it to everyday people, go to where they are, don't be afraid, don't be ashamed, we win.
Paris Denard, spokesman for the RNC, breaking down the huge earthquake. It was a political earthquake when a deep blue state like Virginia uh, turns against a once Democratic Governor Terry McAuliffe and actually elects Glenn Youngkin uh, just 12 months after President Trump lost by 10 points in that state. That's a political earthquake, and hopefully it does have some aftershocks into 2022 to create that red wave. Paris Denard, great stuff. Thanks for the time. Thank you. All right, good to have you. Yeah, you know what? Aftershocks do that, right? Especially uh, on earthquakes along body, bodies of water along the coast. Creates tidal waves. A red tidal wave coming from the earthquake in Virginia uh, along the Atlantic seaboard. I love it. I absolutely love the analogy there. Good stuff. The red wave will be coming. The question, as I asked Paris, a lot of people think that President Trump being an endorser of Glenn Youngkin certainly helped him, but Glenn Youngkin did not run as just a Trump acolyte. He ran with a very different set of, uh, I shouldn't say different policies, they were Trump policies. They were very similar Trump policies. But he ran a very different kind of race with different kind of messaging so as not to turn Virginia residents who hated Trump against him by extension. That's what Glenn Youngkin did a masterful job of. And whether or not that can be replicated around the country is what we're all going to wait and find out. All right, 1047, we'll take our final time out now, and we'll come back, and I'll have plenty of time for more phone calls to wrap it up on this Wednesday edition of The Authority. All right, 1051, final segment of The Authority, a better one this time. i got more time for more phone calls, which is a great thing. And, in fact, I'm going back to Eli, the key guy. We went for him once. Let's see if he's there this time. Eli, are you there? Bob, how are you? Hey, I'm good, my friend. How are you? I'm doing good. What's you on know, your mind this morning? I, I, watch, I, I watch a lot of what's going on. I listen to a lot of what's going on, and I'm like, you know, everybody who gets all riled up and they're against the police, let's say, because of what they've done to these people. Have you ever once heard anybody ask, who is it that's been harmed by police? What is their history with the police? It never seems to matter. It seems to be that the perpetrator who gets hurt is always innocent until proven guilty. And the cop who did it is guilty till proven innocent. And you're not wrong. You're not food. wrong. And and I'll, and I'll add to that, Eli. And hold on one second. I'll finish this thought. Then you can finish yours. Um, to add to that, um, the reality is, uh, a lot of times the police officers know the perpetrator because they have a long record, because they are known in the community as being arrested for this, that, and the other thing. So when police officers encounter individuals in potentially volatile encounters, their history should come into play. The police know if they've had previous violent uh, incidents, and they have to approach it you know, a little bit differently than, than they would with somebody they did not have a history on. So their history should matter, and unfortunately, in the court of public opinion, as you're talking about, it does. Go ahead. I mean, I'll, I'll tell you this. I watched an incident while I was doing stuff for somebody, and I watched a black person chasing a black lady, black man, and she was busy yelling to get away, and they called the cops. And I'm thinking to myself, why would a cop want to get involved? Let them settle it themselves. Why do I got to get in the middle and eat crow when they complain against me? 
Yeah, well, you know what, Eli? That's um, that's the nature of policing, and the and the reality is, if a police officer was in in interested in self protection, he wouldn't get involved. But the beauty of these people is and are is that uh, they are willing to put themselves in the middle of that in order to protect somebody who needs to be protected. If a, if a if a perpetrator is chasing a victim, that that police officer is going to try to protect that victim, even if it means he's going to put himself in jeopardy one way or the other. And that's why I and so many others have respect for them. This needs to be highlighted again and again and again. They shouldn't be allowed to control the narrative the way that they have for the last several years. Right. There needs to be a constant hammering of what the real facts are, and no one not going to keep quiet while you just demolish us. Very well said. Eli, it's great to hear from you again, my friend. I wish you very well. Thanks. Thank you, Eli. Uh, that's my friend Eli, the key guy in Cleveland Heights. Good, good man. Uh, did a great job for me, too, by the way. Uh, let's go to uh, Berea. Sally, you're on AM 1420, The Answer. Go right ahead. Hi, Bob. I I have a disabled friend who lives in the city of Cleveland, and I'm very concerned for her safety. And I'd like to know, what are the qualifications, supposedly, for these civilian board members? How are they selected? Are they going to be appointed or elected, or what are the parameters of their power? Yeah, they uh, they will not be elected. They will be appointed. And as far as what the qualifications are, uh, quite frankly, and I'm, I know this is going to just sound flippant, but you have to hate cops. If you hate cops, you can be on their cop-hating civilian review board. That's what they want is somebody, and that's why Justin Bibb, the mayor of Cleveland, is willing to sacrifice his own power. The mayor-elect is willing to sacrifice his own power over police discipline. Uh, and sacrifice it for the police department itself and give it to this review board. It's because he expects this review board to come down with heavy hammers on police officers whenever there is a complaint. So as far as the qualifications, uh, you know, again, they'll probably have interviews for it. I know they did that when they had to put the commission together under the consent decree. They had to interview people uh, and, and look at their backgrounds, and they'll claim they want it to be very diverse and so on and so forth. But the bottom line, it's going to be assembled by the people who pushed for 24 to pass and that is cop haters, and that's the kind of board they're going to assemble. And that should have been made clear to the voters. They can't vote on something intelligently if they don't know all the ramifications and the and all the um, ways that it's, it's going to play out. Well, you're right, except, Sally, they didn't vote at all. They stayed home. you know. And if they didn't want to educate themselves, and this is just, look, Cleveland is going to have to own this. The, the Cleveland voters, 76% of whom stayed home yesterday, instead of going out there to vote in support of law and order, in, in support of police, in support of actually, uh, you know, supporting police departments and police officers and review of questionable activities, uh, in the normal pr- procedure rather than turning it over to a group of revenge seeking activists. They stayed home, and they didn't educate themselves. So if Cleveland burns, it's the apathetic Cleveland voters that will have struck the match. All right, Sally, thank you so much for the call. I appreciate it. Let me move on to uh, Jeff in Cuyahoga County. Jeff, you're on AM 1420, The Answer. What part of the county are you in, Jeff? Thank you, Bob France. I'm in Cleveland, actually. Uh, I wanted to just say you're having a great show, great guest. I'll just tell you. Uh, Jeff Fulmer was good. Paris Bernard, your last caller, Sally, I agree with her. Uh, I'll tell you, 
And she said something that was key, and it was the word, she used the word communication. I think that uh, this whole issue 24 uh, has been precipitated because of, unfortunately, a lack of leadership. And I think that folks in Cleveland, and I'll tell you, going back to September 14th, people thought just knew that Dennis Kucinich, the same uh, recycled uh, politician, was going to come in first place. Every pollster, even national polls, had him up as leading the pack. And everyone here in the city of Cleveland was just used to doing business as usual. And I think that folks, the electorate stood up. I think all the diff- all the council members uh, backed individuals who were already in office. And I think people said they want something different. So the issue 24, in my opinion, and I wouldn't lose hope, Bob, and two, another thing, I would not suggest that people run, to, but I would uh, run to the suburbs because... If you don't fix the problem where it is, there, the problem will go to the suburbs. Now, you did say something. I'm a First Amendment person, Second Amendment person, and I'll tell you, uh, everyone does have the right to bear arms and should protect themselves. However, there's an old saying that goes like this. If it's not broke, don't fix it. Well, let me tell you this, Bob. Doing business in the city of Cleveland has always been a problem. People talk about the red tape. People talk about the bureaucracy. People talk about folks sitting there. Just Jeff, Jeff I Jeff. like your I like your call and your commentary, but I've got to cut it because I'm 10 seconds away from the end of the show. Call me back tomorrow or any other time, and we'll talk about this in more depth because I think you make some very good points. But that is where we have to end it today. Thanks for being a part of it. We'll talk to you tomorrow on AM 1420, The Answer. Bye-bye. Turbulent times call for clear-headed insight. That's hard to come by these days, especially on TV. That's where we come in. Salem News Channel has the greatest collection of conservative minds all in one place. People you know and trust, like Dennis Prager, Eric Metaxas, Charlie Kirk, and more. Unfiltered, unapologetic truth. Find what you're searching for at snc.tv and on Local Now Channel 525.